0: Westworld Season 1, Episode 3, The Stray, not to be confused with The Strain, Stragoy, is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. It's Welcome to Westworld here on Post Show Recaps, our podcast covering the new HBO show Westworld, which has been mightily awesome so far. Three episodes deep, both the podcast and the show. Uh, I will say the podcast if I may be so bold. I'm Josh Wigler, very excited to be here today going through the looking glass with my co-host Joe Garfine. Joe, how are you feeling to have your Alice in Wonderland theory vindicated so swiftly?
1: It's always a very pleasant surprise uh-huh. when wi- wild speculation comes true. I mean, uh, all those years I lost, I think my percentage of being right was I was wrong 98% at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, and so and with the 100, it, it's the similar, it's probably more 75% incorrect. <laughs> so with Westworld, I mean, listen, it's episode three. You and I have talked about episode two. And now we're going to talk about three and, and through the whole season. And so um, I had a, a moment of joy. I mean, I, I wasn't exactly... Lisa spot, Joy. Lisa Joy. Hey, now. Nice one. Yes. Uh, I was very happy, and we'll definitely talk about it when we get to Dolores, but uh, I had further epiphanies later because, as you know and as you mentioned, I don't sleep. And so I put my phone next to the bed, which you're not supposed to do. But then I couldn't sleep, so I, I wake up and take notes on my phone, so I'm happy to have the podcast today
0: with you. So you're not supposed to sleep with your phone next to you, so I've been doing it wrong since the advent of the cell phone.
1: Uh, yes, I think many of us have because we're addicted.
0: Yeah, that that's a problem. I mean, I now that I know that I've been doing it wrong, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and change things up. I gotta I gotta fix this thing.
1: You know what though, Bernard and Elsie and Doctor Ford probably also sleep with their phone bright or connected to their ear. Really?
0: Yeah. Well, they could probably stand to step away from the thing for a little while. I think, I think like anyone in Westworld could really stand to do that. Uh, no, but when I, when I saw, when, when you and I talked and I, and I had known about the Through the Looking Glass line, I, that made me very happy because I was like, okay, Joe's gonna be right about this one. She's gonna be very pleased. Uh, there's certainly a lot of other developments going on this week in The Stray, episode three, directed by Neil Marshall, Joe. Do you know, do you know the significance of the Neil Marshall? Uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Uh, he's he's directed some crazy movies. He is the director of two of the most action-packed episodes of Game of Thrones. He's the director of Blackwater and Watchers on the Wall, the season two and season four big battle scenes in Game of Thrones. Um, So he's the guy who directed this week's episode. No like massive battle scene that I can think of, but you can kind of see it when like you think back on the scene with Teddy and company trying to go into Wyatt's territory and like the two people tied to the tree and how nasty that was. That was a really good sequence that has a little bit of the Neil Marshall touch to it.
1: I mean, the fact that this show is so epic in feel and scale, the fact that they're attracting this kind of this caliber of director tells you something. Um, it's nice to keep it. In the HBO family, but even without those giant Game of Thrones like action sequences, you can tell that there's a very specific eye behind the lens of every episode so far.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so a lot to talk about here with The Stray this week. I know we were a little late in getting our, uh, our episode two recap of Westworld to you guys, but how nice that the turnaround here is so swift, Joe, that we dropped our episode two podcast on a Friday, and here we are on the Monday after episode three. It's like no time has passed at all.
1: And we are certainly going to aim to do that every week.
0: That's the goal, as often as possible. We are going to try and drop these on Mondays for you guys. Uh, Monday in the early evening, East Coast afternoonish, West Coast is looking like what we are aiming for. So, knock on wood that that's going to happen. We've also heard a lot of really positive feedback from people who listened to our episode two recap. People were really excited about what we were talking about, Joe. So that's fun. It's really, it's really nice to know that you guys are enjoying what we're doing here on the West World podcast. That's always validating. Always- always makes doing these podcasts, which can be, you know, a ton of work, especially when you're chewing on something as as heady as a show like Westworld, it really makes it all worth it. So thank you guys who've been really, really kind with your feedback and just your congrats on the podcast and everything like that. It's been really, really touching for sure.
1: We certainly appreciate the constructive feedback, the theory sharing, the tweets. I mean, it does mean a lot and encourages us to keep going. So that we shall.
0: Yeah, uh, and apologies to the one person who said too many Lost references because I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's going to end anytime soon.
1: S- Sorry, sir or ma'am, um, it's in our DNA, yeah. and you it's know, in our, it's
0: in our programming at least.
1: Lost is a show that has influenced so many shows, and you know, there's a little bit of that DNA in this show. In that Bat Robot is a co producer of Westworld. And so that, coupled with the fact that Josh and I are huge Lost nerds and have covered it extensively, I think that, you know, there'll always be a little bit of crossover.
0: It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. That's going to be okay. I don't think that there's really anything we could do about it, nor would I change a thing. I'm very happy with all of this. Amen. Um, So let's start talking about episode three here. Let's start talking about The Stray, uh, and not just is the Alice in Wonderland thing uh, brought onto the show here when Bernard and Dolores kick off the episode and he gives her a copy of Alice in Wonderland to read. Uh, but I just think that the Dolores story in general, that's certainly the bookmarking uh, or the book ending rather, of this episode. It starts with Dolores. It ends with Dolores. So I feel like we should start our conversation with Dolores. What were your thoughts on the Dolores storyline as it developed this week, Joe?
1: I mean, as we you know, figure figured, uh, Dolores is absolutely essential to I think the key to unraveling the story, the game, the treasure hunt, the maze. Um, um, I I have to start off by saying this because Bernard is the one talking to her, and yeah. then Bernard is the one who you knows keeps reiterating like you're not going to share these conversations, are you? Because he knows that she's uh, you know she has actually strayed from the norm, yes. and so he's reiterating that to her. I am a person who likes words and names, and this started back at the Days Lost, and so I was looking up anagrams of the character names, and let me tell you something, Bernard Lowe, L-O-W-E. Bernard Lowe is an anagram for word enabler. Mm. And my spidey senses went off because I was like, okay, I thought it was too on the nose for him to be the mole. If we're on Mole Patrol, let's start off strong here. Um, You know, Bernard is obviously a main programmer, and... Just the fact – and I know it's probably complete coincidence that the anagram of his name is Word Enabler, but it made me really start to look at him in a different light. The fact that he's clearly not on board with corporate, clearly not 100% with Ford. Elsie is on a different page. Um, You know, I know we're starting to talk about Dolores, but I think that – I cannot figure out what end of the game he's on.
0: Yeah, Bernard is – a really good character so far. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is such a phenomenal actor that it goes without saying that he is going to bring something good to this show. And I've been really impressed with the Bernard character and that arc. And we certainly moved the ball in a couple of interesting directions with him, not just his relationship with Dolores, where he is kind of flirting with whether or not, is this a good idea? Should I be letting Dolores stray? Would it be better to let her go on believing that her reality is the reality as it is on paper, as it is on the surface? Or do I let her continue down the rabbit hole? He's struggling with that. But the other very big deal about Bernard this week is the reveal that he has a son who is tragically no longer with us, Charlie. Uh, We don't know what happened to Charlie. We don't know who Charlie was. We don't know how old Charlie was. We don't know anything surrounding the circumstances of this character's death. But we now know that Bernard has a very very horrible tragedy in his past whether it's his long ago past or his recent past um, and this is something that's clearly driving him and it's it's really moving him and really I think fueling a lot of what he does here and to me you know there's this great scene later on with Ford and Bernard and when Ford is talking about Arnold which I'm sure we'll have a field day talking about when we get <laughs> when we get there uh, but one of the things he says like you can't make Arnold's mistake you can't believe that there conscious and bernard's like well why are you schooling me on this right now what did i say that made you you know that prompted this and ford's like well forgive me but i know that the de- the recent death or like i know that the, the sad death of your son charlie really still weighs on you and it makes mm. me wonder like what is Bernard's endgame here as you said like what is Bernard's place in this he's certainly following through Dolores's path he's keeping a close eye on that do you think if he is the quote unquote word enabler Joe do yeah you, do you think that he is the guy that is spreading what you have just, you know you've, you've termed as a, a digital code this really subtle phrase that is going around that is starting to activate some of these hosts starting to lead them to an awakening if that is indeed what is going on with things like these violent these violent delights will have violent ends does it does it make you more suspicious of bernard as somebody who would want the hosts to find consciousness and would it tie it all into the idea that he has a son that he lost is he wondering can he bring his son back in a in a manner of speaking
1: funny you should say that that's actually perfect because the brief glimpse we got of the little boy who in his flashback scene with his wife when he was on the the skype phone is the same actor that we see in, in scenes with Tandy Newton. So I feel like he made a host in the likeness of his son. Now, it's not confirmed. I haven't looked up the actor, but the little, the cute little African-American boy, I, I am a, almost 100% sure it's the same one we've already seen on screen or we've seen in previews.
0: Interesting. So you, you think that that exists? You think that Bernard has created a host version of his son?
1: Exactly. Like I said last week with Mr. Abernathy, with Dolores' first father host, he looked to me just like Ed Harris. There is something going on. There is some familial tie to the people creating the corporeal bodies covering the digital code. And I I strongly believe that. And so I am more suspicious now, Bernard, on that level. Maybe this is his way of getting out. Maybe he's stuck in this job or he is – like you said, trying to figure out if he can build a host with consciousness, could he rebuild his son? Could he, you know?
0: Yeah. And I, and I think that the other piece of it too is, you know, is it just for himself or is this, you know, would this be something that would be a scientific breakthrough that he would feel could have, you know, wider implications, not just using it for his own personal gain and for his own um, healing of his very personal wound, but also if he can bring his own child back, like, could they start to do that, you know, on a wider scale? Could, could the technology that's at play here in Westworld extend beyond Westworld? We already know uh, from the very first episode, which you and I did not get to talk about at length, we know that Teresa and Sizemore had a conversation where Teresa said to Sizemore, you're smart enough to know that our corporation has, you know, greater ideas in mind than this place. You're just not smart enough to know what that is. Could, right. could Bernard be on the path of something that would be of great interest to this corporation if they could create conscious hosts, if they could create hosts that replicate people who die? Could you cheat death that way? I mean, one of the great themes of this show already... Just the concept of what Westworld is is playing God. Uh, what you know, greater way of playing God than to cheat death itself?
1: Except that, as Doctor Ford pointed out, you can't play God without being acquainted with the devil. Right. And so there are two sides. One is white, one is dark. I mean, seriously, the themes here, you know, it's it's pretty spectacular to contemplate. And then, you know, if he is the one inserting the glitch in the Matrix, as it were in the maze, you know, is he working with corporate, you know, to behind Dr. Ford's back? Is he working on his own? Uh, I, I like that three episodes in there are already some serious philosophical and moral dilemmas for us to ponder.
0: Well, I think, you know, we talked about gray hat in our last podcast. Yes. And, and, I, and I think that that's really what we're getting from a lot of these people is a lot of mixing of black and white. Nothing is that simple with with many of these characters. As Ford even said in episode two, uh, the problem with Occam's razor is that everything we do here is so complicated. There's nothing simple about what we do. And I think that that's very similar to people just in general, but certainly a lot of the characters on this show so far. I think that saying, you know, dividing these characters into black hat and white hat categories is dangerous. And I think Bernard, the sense that I'm getting here is he's genuinely interested scientifically in what's going on with Dolores, uh, but I wonder why, and I wonder if it's because he thinks that there is a breakthrough, a scientific breakthrough that he could possibly be at the forefront of, and then thinking about it even further – What is he up to that maybe we don't know about? What role is he playing if he's playing a role in the awakening of these other uh, hosts? Is that part of whatever endgame Bernard is either already has in mind or is starting to develop here as he's working through things with Dolores? I think there's a lot there that could possibly be revealed at a later time that Bernard might be a little more in on this than we are led to believe at first glance.
1: Well, it's interesting because for such a high tech facility, you know, it doesn't seem to be that every session is recorded. So Bernard's in there with Dolores and he's questioning her and he has her erase their conversations or erase, you know, portions of their, uh, of their sessions together. Is it being recorded? Does Dr. Ford actually know what's going on? Is someone at HQ monitoring the interaction between Bernard and Dolores?
0: Yeah, it's definitely a great question. Uh, and I think that that's one of the great questions just about the universe of Westworld overall is like, Are there, you know, is everything surveilled? Are there portions of this place that are offline? Um, How is Bernard making sure that when he's talking to Dolores, nobody is catching on? Uh, So you never know, like some sort of third, you know, perspective could get introduced into the mix here to show that these experiments that Bernard, you know, not experiments, but this sort of this idea that he's exercising with Dolores and seeing where this takes them, you know, where this weird journey of her self-discovery is going to take them. Is this just a private exercise that Bernard is in on or is somebody keeping an eye on Bernard and watching that as well? Uh, And and if so, who is that? Would it be, you know, Ford, who seems to be a pretty powerful guy himself, a pretty savvy man himself? Could it be Teresa has some sort of eye? on bernard we know that they are already close and they have an intimate life together as well so lots of possibilities in that regard
1: and this is a Jonah Nolan's show, and he did Person of Interest. So, of course, I'm constantly looking for the cameras. Right. And, you know, we got a little bit yesterday with – sorry, I call I call Luke Hemsworth 3H for the third Hemsworth. So <laughs> I'm going to refer to him as – his character is 3H. Fair but enough. 3, 3H had that super cool 5D iPad situation where he was monitoring the stray out on the land. Yeah. And so, you know, I feel like the technology exists to surveil whoever you want whenever you have access to them.
0: Yeah. No, it's cool. I want that iPad, by the way.
1: Oh my god, me too. I totally screamed. At Lisa's like, no, Mm-mm. you're not getting that for Christmas.
0: <laughs> I don't know. No. I don't know who's you know who's uh, who's good list I have to get on in order to get one of those. But I want in. I'm I'm interested. I Take wa- off
1: your gray hat, put on your white hat, and maybe Santa will let you have one. Maybe,
0: in. maybe, maybe we don't know. Maybe <laughs> next year when it's available. Uh, but Dolores is you know coming closer to self discovery. We're gonna see her. We're gonna see her kill a man. I mean, a host. But we're gonna see her shoot somebody by the end of the. This episode, after she was having extraordinary trouble wielding a gun earlier, Uh, you know, in her scenes with Teddy, uh, they have a you know they have a great scene together where he's trying to show her how to use a weapon, and she physically can't do it. To me, that read as though her programming won't let this you know version of her character use a firearm. And we certainly hear it in other areas in this episode when, uh, when Elsie and Triple H or three H as you want to call him, when they're searching for the stray and they talk about how only certain hosts have certain weapons privileges. Yes. Um, it, It struck me that Dolores probably can't use weapons, but then how is she able to do it later in the episode?
1: Well, early on it's when she touches the gun in the drawer, it triggers her memory. So it triggers the glitch. So to speak, you know that we know that that Chekhov's gun was planted in her yard. Yes, uh, we don't know yet by who, and so it seems like that triggered. So that triggered her memories. But when she's using a a gun that's from the park that's provided by the experience, she can't use it. Right, she can use the glitch gun.
0: Yeah, but is that the glitch gun she's using? When she's shooting this guy, uh, whose name is, uh, Rebus, played by Stephen Ogg, who maybe people, if you're watching The Walking Dead, you yes. recognized him from The Walking Dead. But even more, uh, interestingly to me is one of the touchstones for Westworld is like the Rockstar games, Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption. Uh, coincidentally, Red Dead Redemption 2 seems like that's gonna be a thing. But <laughs> Steve, Stephen Ogg is, uh, is the, is the likeness and the voice of Trevor from Grand Theft Auto 5 uh grand theft auto being a very very big touchstone for this show from the creative side from jonah nolan and lisa joy the showrunners they've talked a lot about how this show uh echoes gaming and to have one of the most iconic if not the most iconic figure from the grand theft auto franchise here on the show i think that's a pretty cool connection i digress (laughs) that's Uh, awesome but uh but dolores when she shoots this guy when she shoots rebus um the the big reveal seems to be that he sees that his gun is missing missing from his from his uh side holster Right. And she is holding his gun. So that's not even the revolver that she dug up last week. That's a gun that belongs to this guy and she's able to fire it. So I don't I don't know how that works because that's not a glitch gun as far as I can tell. That's a gun that should be working but maybe not working in her hands, but it does. Nonetheless.
1: Good catch because I literally just watched it once and took a note on that. But you're right, but I wonder if because everything else has a digital imprint, if they're when weapons are assigned they're activated to a certain fingerprint. And so you know, again, could this be something someone knew that she would be in, encountering this particular bandit and this particular band of thieves? And that I don't know, I know I'm, I'm drilling down too specifically in logistics, but, you know, she was able to shoot this gun, but she wasn't able to shoot Teddy's gun. Is there a reason for that?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um, is it that, you know... If somebody is tampering, and if part of the reason why Dolores is waking up is because somebody has pushed this domino into into motion, then we know that Dolores' days typically end this way. You know, for yeah. poor Dolores, that her day, you know, her, her little loop typically ends with the death of her family and herself probably being, you know, raped and killed, which is grotesque. It's really awful. Uh, but if somebody is aware of how Dolores' storyline goes, and that same person is pushing Dolores down the rabbit hole, if it's Bernard or if it's somebody else, could that person also reprogram uh, Rebus' gun? Because she, they know that, that Dolores and Rebus are going to be in the same space at some point, And eventually, if she is awake enough, will she be able to use that gun that would be in her vicinity and actually be able to wield it where she's usually not able to wield a weapon? Um, I think that could be possible.
1: And if they're being surveilled, someone could digitally activate the gun for her. I mean, there are so many possibilities because it's Westworld.
0: Right. No, that's totally true. I mean, we've seen that like you can, you can stop people down from a distance. Uh, you you can put a, you know, a recall order on, you know, Tandy Newton from a control room. Uh, so why wouldn't you be able, like, if you know that that thing is active, uh, if you're watching, you know, if you're watching Dolores in this moment with Rebus, why wouldn't you be able to do that? Why wouldn't you be able to flip a switch where it would work? So that's a cool possibility too. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Uh, c- continue with Dolores. There's some li- the line that she said for me that was huge. This episode was the world out there is calling me, whispering for something more.
0: Yeah. Uh, what did you take from that?
1: That's that's the stream of consciousness that's developing. That's based on the glitch. It's like you know she that is struggling against the robot. The human is trying to just stretch out like an alien out of the stomach, man. that, that She is trying, that the humanity is trying so hard to escape the digital code. It's so fascinating to watch. I think Evan Rachel Wood is doing a fantastic job.
0: Yeah, she was really good in this episode. I really, I'm, I'm interested in where Dolores is going. Uh, I think that same scene that we're talking about, like the end of the episode when Dolores is in the shootout, uh, there's a moment Where she thinks that she's been shot. Um, She thinks that she's been shot in the stomach. And then she looks up and the guy who she thought shot her has not done anything of the sort. And she looks back down and she has not been shot. I know last week you were talking about the possible flash forwards and not flashbacks in the Tandy Newton storyline and Maeve storyline that perhaps she is seeing something from the future. What was your read on this with Dolores? Was she re experiencing something that has happened to her before? Was it a premonition of something that is going to happen in the future? Was it just an instinct of what is possible now? So let's re pivot and not let this happen. What was your take on Dolores getting gut shot, but not really gut shot?
1: My take was, and I had to rewind it because when I was watching it with Lisa, she's like, wait, wait, why did she get shot and then she wasn't? Okay. Someone pressed rewind. So you know how we saw. Uh, Elsie, come and pause the scene in another part of the narrative. Earlier in the episode, yes. you, they have the ability; the the text can go pause an actual scene. Without seeing them, I feel like there was a pause and rewind button set in the blink of an eye. In that scenario, in the na- in the narrative at the farmhouse where she, the person controlling Dolores. Did not want her to
0: get shot. So you think that she did get shot, and you think that somehow whoever is watching that is able to rewind it? Uh, is yep. basically able to undo what has happened? I do. That's bizarre. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, I, well, I find that I find that hard. Well, I'd have to rewatch the scene, but I thought I think I thought that the guy who had shot her in the way that she saw it was a guest. Um and if that's the case, then how would you explain that? How would you explain any sort of rewinding that would happen there? How would there be that level of control over the guest if it was a guest? That's
1: why I don't think it was a guest.
0: Mm, so you think it's a host. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to rewatch. I myself will have to rewind and check that out. Uh, right. But that would be an intriguing possibility too. Um, I, I think that I think that what we're keying in on, and I really like this, is the idea of who is the eye in the sky? Uh, who is the person that is watching this unfold who is who has their eye on Dolores from a distance? and I feel like whoever that is you know tbD we're only three episodes in, so hard to stake a claim as to who is really keeping an eye on her in that way, but it yeah. it does feel like she's being watched, and I wouldn't be surprised if whoever the man behind the curtain is or the woman behind the curtain on that is you know pulling some punches or opening doors that were not previously available to Dolores like making sure that gun can work in her hand for instance or preventing her from getting shot if it was something like a rewind Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that's cool I think it's cool someone clearly has a vested interest in Dolores really no surprise there
1: absolutely and I know not to jump ahead but there's a there's some key tells and nods in this episode to me for Elsie Elsie's the one who's not purging the memories She's you know assigned to purge the memories and, and re you know, reset certain hosts, but we learn that she's not doing that.
0: What is she doing? She's just letting it she's just letting it ride. I don't remember this actually. Maybe, so maybe she messed with my memory.
1: Elsie is in, I forget who she's in, um, interrogating, but she's like, Oh, I'll get to it later when when Bernard said maybe purge the memories and she said, Oh, I'll get to it later. And then uh, they said the host is quote, holding it's like the host is holding a grudge.
0: Yeah. Mm. And I thought, okay... So I know that you're on serious mole patrol with Elsie. You, you, you've you have you have been you've been outspoken about this in our last podcast.
1: I am I am, and here's why. When three H and Elsie, by the way, who are in the elevator, we thought of you, Josh. Yeah. Instead of the escalator, they had a long elevator ride.
0: I appreciated that. By the way, plenty of people wrote in to us to explain that it would be uh, it would be cruel to not have stairs. It'd be cruel and stupid to not have stairs in your office building, hence all of the escalators. <laughs> and I will just I will tip my gray cap to you people in a assume that that's correct. I have not been in the corporate life for a little while, so I, I guess I don't know. It's not my place to say one way or the other.
1: Okay, that's fair. Okay, okay.
0: C- carry on. <laughs>
1: okay, so I keep calling the three H, but what's Luke Hemsworth's character name? I'm sorry. Ashley okay. Stubbs. So when Ashley is in the elevator with Elsie, to me, there was a giant red flag and I jumped up off the couch when he said this line to her. The only thing preventing the hosts from hacking us to pieces is one line in your code Mm. I I interpreted that two ways the first is that she's the one who is designing almost all the code or you know is overseeing the code where I thought Bernard was for the hosts the other thing I thought and I said out loud is holy shit Elsie could be a host and she like there I didn't even cross my mind
0: that Elsie could be a host
1: that Elsie could be a host
0: your code ah so you're saying your code is in like literally the code that's coursing through your veins
1: Right, in a different level, a higher elevated level of hosts could be running the technology. Now, again, I know I'm crazy and I theorize wildly, but that line to me was like huge.
0: I don't. I don't think you're theorizing wildly. Uh, certainly not in the idea of should we be suspicious of characters that we know? Could some of them be hosts? People we think are humans. Uh, I would. I'm expecting that. I'm. You know. I'm waiting for some sort of reveal, and it's really just a matter of who that's going to be. Uh, and I'll float an idea later on uh, in in that regard. I haven't really been thinking of Elsie on that level. But there's no reason to, to think that she that she couldn't be. Um, right. I think that that's certainly a possibility. One thing, I mean, we can start talking about the stray storyline if you'd like. Uh, yeah. That that really, you know, it's Elsie and Ashley Triple H on the field hunting down this guy who's supposed to be the wood chopper for this group that has been stuck on a loop because their wood their woodcutter is missing, <laughs> uh, which is very funny and you know sad in its own way. Uh, but doesn't Ashley say something about uh, uh he he some sort of, uh, like, aside at one point about, like, oh, maybe it's in my programming that I can't use this gun or something like that. Uh, he just, he makes, like, some joke. It's clearly him joking to Elsie about how he is secretly a host. But it made me wonder if that was just on the show because Ashley actually is a host. And, like, the security operatives are secretly hosts uh, that, that are trained to, to protect this place. So that's the level of, like, conspiracy theorizing that I'm doing, too. Is I'm definitely looking at these people as potential hosts. Christ.
1: They are the writers of the show, the producers are definitely effing with us, and we very much appreciate it. Yeah. No,
0: I, <laughs> think, like the, sh- I, I think the line is I just looked it up is when, uh, when Elsie is looking at the carving, uh, that the woodcutter has made, and there's like star patterns there, and Ashley is like, Oh, it looks like Orion. And she's like, I, I didn't know that you were so into like the Galileo of it all, buddy. And he says something to the effect of, I, ah, maybe it's in my backstory. Um, so him making that joke, but it's like, Well, why is that joke there? Is there something, you know, Know, actually, here is someone going to be in for a rude awakening. Perhaps literally that they are not human and that they are a host.
1: I think the line is I wasn't programmed to give a shit about stars. Uh,
0: yeah, which so, you're like, hmm. Maybe you were. Maybe you were programmed. What do you What are you making of this? Of uh, so, Elsie and Ashley they stumble upon the camp. The woodcutter is missing. They're going to keep following his trail, but in the camp, they are going to see like these carvings that the woodcutter has made of animals and little totems that he's made, and he has these really weird star patterns carved into them. Are you making anything of that so far?
1: Uh, absolutely. It made me think of the maze on the inside of the skullcap of the dead man that Ed Harris scalped. Okay. It made me think that this is another clue, and it's another map.
0: Yeah. So, what, you, so you don't think it's a, a star map, or do you think that it's possibly a star map?
1: I think it's a map to something in the Westworld narrative.
0: Yeah, um, I, I, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it would play out, but you would certainly think that this deeper level that is, you know, percolating beneath the surface. Would be connected to something like this, yes, um, or or you know the the awakening uh, that could be that could be happening for some of these characters. Like one of the things that's stressed on the show in another Elsie scene when she's talking to Bernard about Walter, the guy who is you know who shot up a bunch of hosts and is pouring milk on them, and he's like, "I need more milk, Arnold," and everything that he's saying there. How that guy had been killed in previous storylines by the six hosts that he kills. In that scene, made me wonder if the woodcutter in a previous life was a stargazer or an astronomer or something like that. Had an appreciation for that that is starting starting to bear out as he's clearly coming to the end of his very glitching rope. Uh, you know, so far that he's going to bash his own brains in in a really disgusting display of violence. That maybe he's accessing something from a past life as well.
1: Well, and you know, really fascinating is you know did someone program him to self destruct in a certain situation?
0: Right. What did you think of that? Because we do see Elsie and Ashley track this guy down. They get to the ravine where he is trapped in the bottom of this ravine. Uh, Ashley is starting. You know, it's not even he's about to cut this guy's head off. He's begun the process. He's sawing in. Uh, and then the stray stands up, pushes Ashley away, climbs out of the ravine in this total horror movie nightmare <laughs> moment, uh, is inching closer and closer to Elsie, has this gigantic boulder that he is lifting up overhead, and I'm thinking in this moment, Elsie, you're in trouble. And instead, he just bashes his own brains in. What was this? What, what, uh, what is happening here?
1: I, I had a couple of thoughts. One is he was programmed not to hurt other people. Right. He had two, he was programmed to self-destruct. And under what circumstances, maybe that kind of extreme bodily harm and decapitation certainly falls under that category. But yeah. here's what I got out of that scene. The stray is the second host to wake up during sleep mode. The first was mob during surgery. This guy woke up during surgery. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, he's these, this glitch that's happening. It is allowing hosts in sleep mode to wake up as if they were humans coming out of anesthesia and to literally have an awakening at the worst possible time. Yeah. It's fascinating.
0: So, so you think, what do you think caused the initial, you know, the initial straying for the stray? What do you think caused him to go off script in the first place to get himself trapped in the ravine? Do you think it's the same thing of these violent ends? Well, these violent delights will have violent ends. Do you think somebody whispered to him? Do you think somebody woke him up? What's your explanation for how this guy kind of got off? Off path in the first place.
1: I'm not sure. I know how in terms of it was if it was whispered or if he and Mav, who have been through many many iterations of narratives, have they're the older models. Not to say they're old, but you know what I'm saying. If they're not like Mr. Abernathy, but maybe because they're they've been around the block, the tech is starting to. Um, they're not as. Uh, their their software isn't as updated and so maybe they're easier to it's easier to enter the matrix and those models Um, again I'm just thinking out loud here I don't have a a direct answer but I think people are whoever is uh, on mole patrol is using certain models to see what happens
0: yeah It was just so messed up. (laughs) I don't know what version of that scene would have been less messed up, like watching Ashley clean saw this guy's head off, uh, this guy rebelling and like actually killing Ashley or Elsie or what he ended up doing, which was smashing his own head in with a boulder. I don't know which of the three outcomes, like they're all very gross uh, and very violent and very extreme and a really kind of ominous preview of the level of violence that might be ahead.
1: Yes, absolutely. Especially with if the uh, Red River narrative becomes reality.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, All right. So which narrative would you like to focus on next? If we're moving away from uh, from everything that's happening with the stray, what really popped out to you? There's plenty of different places we could go.
1: Well, uh, Mav remembered seeing Teddy in, dead st- in cold storage.
0: Yes, so she did, yes.
1: that to me was obviously uh, – that just happened last week. And so when Elsie said that she's not purging memories, that, you know, she obviously uh, saved Mauve from being deactivated. And I feel like that's what – she specifically left in that memory.
0: Well, again, I mean – this was something that we talked about last week. Is so the two doctors who are performing surgery on her um, and yeah. you know opening up her abdomen and are very 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 shocked and alarmed and upset to see her wake up and you know run away uh, that they knock her out when they finally catch up with her and one of the guys says to the other the one who is still not confirmed to be Whedon-esque or not <laughs> uh, he he grabs her they grab her and he says to his partner uh, let's get out of here before anyone sees so I th- I think that however they resolve the situation you know they probably broke protocol and whatever mind wipe would occur to to you know remove this experience from her memory banks did not seem to occur so she no. so she still has at least some passing memory of it. Um, it would have been cool to see her like wake up in Westworld and like to know what like her immediate experience of you know what her immediate recall of that whole experience was um, but yeah. s- certainly in like just the passing moment with teddy you know, what probably felt like this very obscene, inexplicable nightmare suddenly gets further clarity, you know, suddenly gets some focus again of, oh, wait, I saw you die. And I also saw your dead body in this very foreign world that I can't explain what is going on here. So there's not a lot going on with Tandy Newton's character this week, but it is confirmation that she remembers what she experienced, at least to some degree, even if she can't explain the context. So that's pretty key.
1: Absolutely. Um, another thing I brought up last week, which I was very happy to see this week was a, a female visitor, Yes, uh, you know, it was really in, inside of the experience. And of course, I don't know if we know her name, but it was really cool to see her and also not her, you know, not that I expected her to get shot, but, uh, to see her, you know, sort of immersive in that experience with Teddy. Um, I, it can't, I can't go without saying Clementine. I mean, listen, this is the future. Anything goes sexuality wise. I think there's a giant spectrum when you pay $40,000 a day in Westworld. I believe um, it. So when Clementine goes off with a female visitor, nothing surprises me. No. (laughs) However, I'm going to circle back to, I think, episode one. When Elsie has Clementine in the tech box, she kisses her when she's offline. Yes. Right? Then uh, we see Clementine. You think it's a reverie, but Clementine does touch her lips after Elsie has kissed her. Now, I'm going to put out some crazy speculation here that Elsie— Has a thing for Clementine and either has some kind of messed up relationship with this host or has a crush on her, is in love with her. That's why she pays extra special attention to Mob and Clementine and keeping them alive and active.
0: So you think that she has an actual thing for Clementine, that it's not just like it was a curiosity that she followed through with, that you think that she has actual feelings for this host?
1: I kind of do. And I think that Clementine's, uh, you know, touch of her lip afterward. Like, it, it's sort of, a, I don't know if, if Elsie's using her for this big mole patrol situation, or if this is a personal, there's something personal. There's some, again, I don't know if it's, it's obviously not familial, but it's, you, there's some connection between Elsie and Clementine.
0: I like it. I'm into yeah. it. Yeah. Well, All right, good. There's a lot of connections between a lot of people and Clementine. You know, I think that that's something that has bared out on the show so far. Uh, she's a good character. I like her quite yes. a bit. Uh, but you're talking about the, about the guest who's hanging out with Teddy. I don't know what her name is. Did you catch her name? I don't know if it was even given
1: i didn't but uh, it was just fun to see her enjoying it,
0: yeah, no, I, I liked her. I thought that she was cool, and to see her like be very brave and courageous, like in the face of the Wyatt thing, uh, which i'd lo- <laughs> which i would love to start diving into of her just being fearless and like not wanting to go back um, and I was almost surprised that we didn't see her get killed yeah. uh, you know that that maybe would have been like too much of an escalation of the hosts starting to turn. This, right. this early on. But I was half expecting as the situation with uh, Wyatt's men in the woods as it became nighttime and uh, the older sheriff gets killed and it's now just Teddy and the guest and he orders her to leave. I really thought that like the big twist was we were going to watch her get killed right there, which would have been awful. It would have been really, you know, really harrowing. It would have really signaled a big shift that's going on in the world. But obviously a little, I think a little too early for that still. Uh,
1: instead we get our fourth Teddy killing and I literally said to the TV, oh my God, They killed Teddy. You bastards.
0: I I mean, I think it's our fifth, right? Because he does die already earlier in this episode. You're right. You know, he's having his whole moment with Dolores and they're out there together. And he's talking about someday we will run away together. And Dolores says the great line about someday sure sounds a lot like uh, what people really mean when they don't want to say never. Uh, Right. You know, so like I I loved that. But then they go back to the Abernathy Ranch and they're both killed as is... As 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 happens in this loop, Uh, Teddy, the man who has died at least a thousand times by Dr. Robert Ford's count. Um, and when he's killed, this is his fourth death. And then later on, it looks like he's getting killed again by Wyatt's men. But in this moment, following his fourth death, uh, Teddy is brought in before Robert Ford, who we know is developing a new narrative. And we don't know exactly what it is other than it includes this shadowy character named Wyatt. Uh, and, and Ford programs this backstory for Teddy, which I think very tellingly, he explains to Teddy that it's a fiction that like all great. Fictions is rooted in some truth, um, so that's an interesting lens to look at this through. But the story of Wyatt is—is uh, is Teddy used to fight alongside his sergeant named Wyatt? Was a Wyatt was his sergeant? Uh, it seems like they were both part of the Union in the Civil War, based on the way that they are uniformed. Uh, Wyatt was his friend. Wyatt went away, he went missing for several weeks, and when he came back, he was back with some strange ideas, quote-unquote strange ideas, and now Teddy is out for blood. He wants some vengeance against Wyatt, who came back with strange ideas, killed a lot of innocent people, looks like he slaughtered a town at least, and now Wyatt is the manifestation of what was previously just sort of this nebulous, nagging guilt on Teddy that had never been fleshed out, because the poor guy didn't even have that much of a backstory, which on its own... How depressing is that? You know, we, we talk about how these poor creatures are, are, you know, blank slates and their existence. It's all a lie. Uh, but that really struck me. Like that really affected me, this idea of Teddy who is just... You know, ripped with guilt uh, about actually nothing. Uh, there is nothing for him to feel guilty about because his programmers never gave him something specific to feel guilty about. Just nagging feelings of guilt. How messed yet, up is that?
1: And yet, it could be total projection. His programmer has some serious issues and guilt, and is just building it into the program. And yeah. uses t- Teddy for that.
0: Well, I, I I think that the Wyatt thing is very very interesting in the context of what we find out about Ford. Later in this episode, uh, we find out about a man named Arnold. Uh, Arnold, who is forgotten in history as one of the co-founders of Westworld. Uh, We've heard the name Arnold before on the show. We heard it in the first episode. We're hearing it again in episode three of this guy, Walter, who's going, I need more milk, Arnold, and all of that. And we find out that Arnold was one of the original scientists here at Westworld, uh, was, uh, you know, part of the very early days of them just working on the hosts, working on the technology, no guests, no board meetings, no nothing. Um, and Arnold is the guy who is starting to develop ideas of what if we can get actual consciousness for these hosts, not just close to the real thing, but the actual genuine article, uh, and was developing theories toward this, was you know designing experiments toward finding consciousness and imbuing the hosts with actual consciousness. And uh, from what he tells us, Ford is pretty clear about how he's on the opposite side of this, how this is a dangerous thing to do. The last thing you would want to do in Westworld is give these hosts consciousness over their experience, allow them to be aware of what's happening to them. And also, if you're making the programming in their heads sound like voices in their heads and they believe that they're hearing the voice of God, they might go crazy. They might go insane. So it's a a really interesting stark contrast between the philosophy of Ford and the philosophy of this man, Arnold, who is talking about strange things, according to Ford. Uh, This man who also apparently Dies, uh, is killed in the park. He died in the park. Ford says some people thought it was an accident, but I know, I know Arnold. He says Arnold was very, very careful. All of this is a long-winded way of saying, <laughs> Joe. What? What are we buying that this Arnold character is dead? Is Arnold still alive? Is Arnold a character that we already know? Is Arnold somebody that is living in the park? And is is Wyatt an avatar of sorts for Arnold? If Ford is coming up with this elaborate new narrative, something quite original that he's been working on for quite some time, could it have something to do with his forgotten business partner, with his forgotten fellow creative mind that is quote unquote dead, but not actually dead, and perhaps a driving force behind some of these awakenings?
1: Well, my first thought was Arnold is the one who planted the photo. Arnold planted the gun. You know, this is the anti-Ford, right? This is the one who is uh, working on the inside of the park for mobile patrol. And then I thought, ah, crap. What if Arnold is the man in black?
0: Yeah, No. There's a few possibilities, I think. Uh, I I think that that would be one that your head would go to for sure. The Man in Black has an association with Westworld dating back 30 years, which is about, uh, we we think, about as long as Westworld has existed. Uh, At the very least, we know it's been 30 years since a quote-unquote crit failure. Um, So we know that the park is at least that old. What if the Man in Black is Arnold? What if... Arnold died here. Arnold died in the park. What if that is a metaphor for whatever identity the man in black once had? that he abandoned here in Westworld and became a new man from that day moving forward. So I think the Man in Black is certainly an obvious candidate to be Arnold because especially you want there to be some history between Ed Harris and Anthony Hopkins. You want to see those two in a scene together, and especially if they have this ancient rivalry, that would be really wild to see. So you think that the Man in Black is a candidate for this?
1: I think for sure, and one of the things I found very interesting is When Ford had Teddy in the tech box, he quoted Shakespeare. And what's another Shakespeare line that's been used as part of what I think is the digital glitch? These violent delights have violent ends. Right. That is from Romeo and Juliet. And then I thought, well, Ford is quoting Shakespeare, and he was partners with Arnold, and Arnold probably quoted Shakespeare, too. Yeah, and so these violent delights could come from Arnold.
0: Yeah, and I think if we're you know if you want to talk Shakespeare for a minute, which I would love to do, uh, you know one of the other great things, uh, you know one of the great story tropes and one of the great storytelling devices used very commonly throughout Shakespeare's work is duality and hidden identities, secret identities. There's you know more secret identities in Shakespeare's work than there are in Marvel comics. That's not yeah. quite true, probably, but it's you know it's comparable. Uh, and there's a lot of characters playing other characters. You know Rosaline playing a man, everything like that uh, happens quite a bit. Um, is it possible that there is some actor on the show, like an actor in the universe of this show? Is there somebody who is somebody that we are not aware of somebody with multiple identities, somebody with two identities, the man in black being revealed as Arnold would fit the bill. Another possibility just worth chewing on is what if Ford is Arnold? Uh, this was something that was, uh, floated our way once again, by the great Brendan Fitzpatrick, uh, Who had a great comment on Twitter earlier uh, over the weekend that I saw and I really enjoyed, which is being in the ground floor of Westworld is, is an exciting thing because for, for people who like, weren't on the ground floor of yet again to say it lost, like the theorizing and, and all of that just from the jump, if you were part of that first experience was so exciting. So it really is exciting to have something so fresh like Westworld to start chewing on in this way. Um, but Brendan's uh, theory, he wrote it and said, what if Dr. Ford as we know him isn't Dr. Ford, but is Dr. Arnold pretending to be Ford, and the real Ford died in the park, and it's Arnold as Ford who's mucking everything up. What do you, th- <laughs> what do you think about that, Joe? Do you think that Ford is not exactly as he appears?
1: Oh, Fitzy, you're stopped becoming my favorite. I love it. <laughs> I guess he thinks that's on the box like we do, for sure. Um, I didn't really think about Arnold as Ford, um, but I like the idea of introducing the new Wyatt narrative because Wyatt and Teddy used to be partnered up just like Arnold and Ford did. Yeah, And so the fact that there's some vengeance narrative happening um, it's very, very fascinating.
0: Um, another, another thing that was brought up in feedback this week, which, by the way, we love to get your feedback. Westworld at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. So send stuff in. Um, Jim Crumley had written in uh, to talk about the name Robert Ford, and I know you and I love it. Uh, you know <laughs> the, the specificity of names, uh, and Robert Ford, very famously in westerns, uh, in Western history, uh, you know, is the man who assassinated the outlaw Jesse James, uh, yes. as highlighted in. the The very great movie, the 2007 movie, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Uh, So Jim had written in about that. Jim Crumley had written in and asked what we think the significance of the name Robert Ford is, uh, how that would play into the Robert Ford that we're seeing. And now that we're learning about this Arnold character, Joe, let's say Arnold is dead or Arnold at least has been driven out. How, how much do you want to bet that Ford cowardly was involved? You know, a cowardly Ford was somehow involved either in this guy's actual death or in somehow outlawing him from the, the glories of Westworld. I think no matter how you slice it, no matter where Arnold is, I do get the sense that some sort of cowardly act by Ford probably pushed this guy away from the thing.
1: I think both are very strong possibilities, and it's not a coincidence that we have Ford and we have Arnold and of course Benedict Arnold yes. comes to mind. Robert Ford, Benedict Arnold are very I don't know his name is Benedict, but I'm just saying very strongly associated with history and and they you know Benedict Arnold traitor. Well, according to Ford, but you know maybe they had a situation where he felt he was a traitor and Ford felt he had to take care of him.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that would certainly, again, go in the idea of dualities and gray hats instead of black and white hats. Uh, you know, if, if he is, if Arnold is taking, you know, if, if the show is giving the Arnold character the name based on something like that, uh, you have a coward, you have a traitor, they probably both believe in their causes. So contrasting them against each other is interesting. I had one other possibility for who Arnold could be. Joe. Bring it, bring it, uh, and you know. Once again, to revisit the idea of what if some of these people uh, that we are seeing on the human side of the plot are actually hosts and don't even know it. Uh, so, so just through that lens, I started wondering could Arnold and Bernard be the same person? Um, Is it possible that Bernard is a host? And is it possible that he is the Arnold that uh, Robert Ford is describing here, uh, if there was some sort of cowardly act, and if Arnold was very, very close, if not got all the way to figuring out actual consciousness for these hosts. Could Ford have killed this man? Uh, We we already know that Ford likes to use hosts the way he likes to use them, like he has a piano man in his room, (laughs) in his office. Is it possible that he somehow kills Arnold, who has made this breakthrough, imbues a form of consciousness in an Arnold host that he turns into Bernard Lowe? Bernard has these memories of losing his child, Charlie, that are very, very painful and awful, for him what if that's all a fiction or what if those are memories of a life that are not actually his but are actually this guy Arnold who he is made to look like the spitting image of is it possible that there's some really really awful twisty elaborate thing headed toward Bernard's way in that he is a host and does not even know it that was something that I started wondering about this week in light of the whole Arnold thing
1: Last week I'd have said no this week, absolutely, because Bernard forgets when he is, not just where he mentions sometimes forgetting when he is, and I was like, "Come on, really
0: <laughs> you know yeah, thats a, seems like a sign to me of somebody who's you know only here to a certain degree uh is only able to access what he is permitted to access uh, and if Ford is a little bit more of a twisted guy then you know he may be seemed at first glance and we see him in this episode just dragging a scalpel across the cheek of a host just to prove that they only feel what we want them to feel so his stance on these things are you know he's made it pretty clear and also in the conversation with Bernard at the very end like don't make the same mistake as Arnold don't be so foolish as to believe that these hosts actually have consciousness they don't they only have what we tell them. So we know that that's his position. What if he has done something so twisted that he has turned somebody who was once a friend, maybe became an enemy, into the very thing that Arnold was hoping to create? Uh, as some sort of long-standing torture type of scheme. I don't know if that's too far outside the box. And I'm not and I'm not fully committed to the idea, but it's just a possibility that I started wondering watching this episode.
1: Now we have to call him Bernard Arnold.
0: Bernard Arnold <laughs> Yeah Bernard <laughs> but Schwarzenegger also,
1: Down that rabbit hole, you know, what if the video we see of his him talking to his wife who by the way, Gina Torres is amazing. Yes. Firefly suits, she's good at everything. I love seeing her here. What's her alias character? Do you remember? Oh, my gosh. I knew you were Anna, Anna that.
0: Espinosa, is that right? I think so. Gosh, that was 1999. Come I think on I, got it. I think
1: I got it. We'll see. But, yeah, Anna. So, uh, Anna. So, seeing Gina Torres on the screen, I thought, well, what if this is a loop, too? Right. That he's sort of like, this is the only video on file. Yeah. Of the, this conversation is part of his loop.
0: Or... Is it impossible that there is another host, that there is a Gina Torres host, there is Bernard's wife, (laughs) you know, a Bernard's wife host that is only activated when Bernard uh, gets the impulse to make a video conference? Uh, you know, we've certainly seen like we've seen the, the the piano man sing us a song near the piano man in uh, Ford's office. So it wouldn't be completely out of the realm of possibility that there is another host that exists that only is activated when it's uh, it's time to turn her on. I like how uh, crazy cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs we've gone in this episode. (laughs) You know, well, I I don't think that that's where it's going, but I want to throw it out there just in case we do go down that path. Totally. It's so early in the show that, you know, we could go anywhere. But I've started thinking about Ford, uh, not Ford. I've started thinking about Bernard from the possibility that he could be a host. Uh, And I I think when you look at him through that lens and you look at his relationship with Ford, it gets pretty messed up. My inclination, uh, my guess with the Arnold thing, if I were to take like a, what's your actual prediction of where this is going? I think that that Arnold is still alive and lurking somewhere within the park in Westworld and is somebody that we have not encountered yet, but will encounter for sure. And that there is somebody who has been living out in the wild of Westworld, doing his own thing, making his own work, uh, tampering with hosts uh, that he can get his hands on, and that is sort of this Wyatt avatar that uh, that Ford is now interested in closing the loop on or finishing off for good. I think that we're going to see something like that. That's my instinct of where this is going.
1: And I'm still going to go with Ford and the Men in Black are brothers, and he's also Arnold. (laughs) Boom.
0: (laughs) I like it. I think that's good. Uh, On that note, we had had a a question sent in from us, uh, sent in to us by Matt Sig, who said, Seeing how all the best cowboys have daddy issues. Yes. Could the man in black be Ford's son? He said he was kind of born there and we know he gets whatever he wants. So could this be a thing? What do you think about that? Do you think that the man in black could be Robert Ford's son?
1: You know, logistically speaking, looking at Ed Harris and Anthony Hopkins, my inclination would be to say no. Probably but, not. <laughs> but it's Westworld and you have we have no godly idea what's going on. And so... I would, wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we've already talked about the possibility of like a time displacement in the Man in Black story. Uh, right. That the William and Logan thing is playing out much earlier than the Man in Black's present – and that William might be a young version of the Man in Black. That's one of the popular theories out there right now. Did this episode move the needle for you at all in that? I mean, we didn't see the Man in Black. We didn't see Ed Harris in this episode. We did see a little bit of William and Logan. Not a ton. William draws first blood. He he gets his first kill in this episode. He decides to, you know, he gets a taste for adventure. He decides he's going to go out and, you know, try and round up some other outlaws. It doesn't seem to be very exciting, at least by Logan's standards. But did anything that was happening in their storyline this week refute the idea of the man in black and William being the same guy? Was there any evidence that really dispelled that theory for you?
1: No, if anything, it, it further enhanced it for me because he got a taste. At first, you know, he's the guy who represents humanity, okay, and as a visitor so far. And he has someone at home he's saving himself for. He, so he, you know, uh, denies the advances of Clementine and other other lovely ladies in Westworld. And he does, um, I feel like it was a setup. It's, it was sort of an activated program in the narrative to have him be forced to shoot someone and as a visitor. And so, but that activated something within him as a human being And that's sort of, to me, the first. Step up the ladder to becoming the Man in Black.
0: Yeah, well, I think the question for me would be when is the Ed Harris storyline playing out versus where is Dolores's story? Because Dolores, to bring things back full circle, she kills Rebus. She kills. Right. The, she kills the Stephen Ogg character. All of that is happening. That seems to be happening concurrently with um, you know finding out about uh, Bernard and uh, and you know knowing how much he knows about Dolores and their little. T- that story seems to be happening within the same story of dolores killing rebus and then that dolores escapes abernathy farm and stumbles upon the william and logan characters so where is that where is the dolores and bernard storyline in relation to ed harris's storyline are you following that do you know what i mean like i feel like if we're if we're saying that william is a young version of the man in black then is the ed harris story playing out long after whatever is going on with bernard and dolores
1: I believe so. And I believe when we don't see what happens with Ed Harris and Dolores in the barn with the Man in Black, we see the knife, we assume the worst. But now I'm thinking, because I feel like the Man in Black still has a humanity in him that we saw in young William, if it's the same person, the knife he's using, he's actually using it digitally to affect her code. Mm. He's going in and he's working on some wiring.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, we've seen him tinker you know, with people, or at least we've seen him uh, exhibit awareness that there are little things that you can manipulate. He scalped the guy so that he could get a map on the inside of his scalp. Yeah. So it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if he's rewiring Dolores for some reason. And it would add some context, actually, to that scene where the man in black hands the can of condensed milk to Dolores You know, the morning after what we presumed was a rape scene. Yeah, um, I mean,
1: she, I think... The host is, uh, you know, Dolores says fear is built in as part of her programming. So hearing her scream, sure, a man comes at her with a knife, you know, she's not going to know he might be doing something good.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a weird possibility. You know, this whole William is the man in black thing that I, I have not fully gotten on board with. And I actually think that the timing of Bernard and Dolores having their little talks, uh, existing in the same timeline as the Dolores and William stuff that we see at the end of the episode. To me, that takes away a little bit of the possibility that the man in black and William are the same guy. Cause I'd like to think that Ed Harris is going to be part of the main narrative, unless we're really jumping all over the place in terms of timeline, which would be pretty wild. Uh, so I'm, I'm more inclined to think that William and the man in black are separate characters, but I think it's, it's still on the table. But what is interesting to me is How this episode ends with William and Dolores being in contact now. Dolores passes out in William's arms. She's now in the William and Logan storyline, at least for the next little minute, I would assume. Mm -hmm. Um, How is that going to shake out? What's that going to look like? We saw at the end of episode two that William and Dolores already exchanged a moment. Now that's paying off pretty swiftly.
1: And this is, again, it it just furthers my theory that he becomes the man in black because at the end of Dolores' loop, many times we've seen the man in black come to what – not, you know, what, what we originally thought was to attack her, but maybe he's coming to rescue her. And the, the basis of this relationship is starting now.
0: That would be crazy. It would be. I know,
1: I know I can't, you guys, but I'm going to stick with it because I kind of dig it.
0: It's the meat cute, you know, the meat cute between these two. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yeah, very adorable. Also, some information we found out about William this week is that uh, William is, uh, it sounds like he's engaged to Logan's sister. Uh, Logan says, you know, after William has shot the bandit in the middle of Sweetwater, Logan, who by by the way, every time Logan walks into a scene, have you noticed this? He's always zipping up his fly. That little, yes, he is. That little dirty perv. Uh, so Logan comes in and he says, like, oh, let me, you know, I, I want to buy you someone at the brothel. Uh, and William's like, no, really not into that. And Logan basically says, you're going to want the memories after you've been married to my sister for a year. So yeah. a little bit of clarity, you know, further clarity on the relationship between these two, they are colleagues and soon to be uh, brothers-in-law.
1: And I think given what we've seen of Logan, I think Logan might have a little man crush on his friend. You, so, you
0: think he's crushing on, on William. I do. Yeah.
1: I do. I think anything goes for him, but I also still, like, I'm not a huge fan of Logan as a character. Like, I feel like, I, you know, he's there to serve a purpose, and I feel like he will be the first human killed in this situation.
0: I could see it. I could see it. Until then, you know, he's—I I love Ben Barnes. I think Ben oh, Barnes— yeah. is, But like I said, playing this guy with relish, and that's fun to see. Uh, def, definitely fun to see that play out.
1: I do want to go back a little bit to Ford, you know, when he said that— uh, he lived with the engineers for three years in the park. I immediately thought Dharma Initiative. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, we're going to get an orientation video. The And then they showed the young Anthony Hopkins.
0: Fortis Goodspeed. Dude. That's what I'm going with.
1: The, the young Tony Hopkins was incredible.
0: That was great. Yeah, they did, like, the whole uh, Michael Douglas Ant-Man thing. They, 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 did, they did that pretty well. You know, it was very... well, did
1: it with Robert Downey Jr. in, in the most recent Captain it's, America. Yeah,
0: in Civil War, yeah. So technology, man, it's good. Uh, it's true. But now that we're seeing like a young a young Anthony Hopkins – actually, this is interesting. So we're seeing a young Anthony Hopkins on the show. Like We're seeing a young Ford, and he's played by a digitally de-aged Anthony Hopkins. Does that take away anything from the idea that the man in black and William are the same? If on this show already they are showing that uh, they will use technology to make a young Robert Ford look like a young Anthony Hopkins – Why would they have Jimmy Simpson playing William just to preserve the surprise? I feel like there's a little bit of dissonance there.
1: Um, I think because he is a visitor and he's not part of behind the scenes, I think it's going to be I think it's totally separate and different.
0: Mm. Um, Any other theories that you've got lingering from this week before we close out, Joe?
1: Um, you know, I've been following the online virtual experience, the Delos Corporation, you know, uh, discoverwestworld.com. I'm on their email. I get emails from Aiden, the online host. Okay. Which, by the way, if you're a person of interest fan and you ask Aiden, just say the words person of interest. Uh, Aiden will reveal that he too had a, a crush on Root because who didn't? That's right. Um, <laughs> which played by Amy Acker. And so there's some nice little Easter eggs in there, which just for fun. But my point is when I look at the word Delos, D-E-L-O-S, it's shortened for Dolores. Like I see Dolores's name in there. And so I just think that like, there's something there. There's something kind of, I mean, we all know how key Dolores is, but there's, I think that the, the, the key to unraveling everything is going to be Dolores. I think by the end of season one,
0: I think the fact that she's the oldest host in Westeros, in Westeros, the old <laughs> drink, the drink. oldest host, I got this far, got right to the end. Uh, the oldest host in Westworld is Dolores, I think is not, you know, it's not insignificant. Um, And I think for her to be the person who is having this Alice in Wonderland adventure is the person who is waking up to Wonderland before it seems just about anybody else, or at least in, I want to say like a healthily realized way, but at least I don't fully buy that, but more healthy than some others. She's certainly not smashing her own head in with a boulder. Uh, I think the fact that this is happening for her. Is key, you know. Why? Why her? What is it about her that this is happening? And could it be just because she's the oldest, and so certain things are starting to give way? Uh, maybe. Maybe that's possible. Or is she somebody of interest to a higher power? Something specific about her being, you know, this old school piece of technology uh, that is, you know, the OG, the original build. Um, I think that there's a lot there. Uh, so can't wait to find out. Uh real really excited about the Dolores potential for sure.
1: I mean, and it, you know, I could spend a whole other podcast on the ramifications of Alice in Wonderland and I think that everyone's familiar with the basic story, but there are there are certain, you know, things about Alice in Wonderland and the maze and the, it being a puzzle is one of them and you know, the fact that there's a maze on the skull cap. I just think, you know, it's kind of brilliant how Shakespeare and Lewis Carroll and, you know, they have already come into play in a show about the future. They're using, you know, at this point, what would be archaic literature, but you know, and, and American history. Um, and, and the, like was the case with lost. I think this is a show that'll encourage you to do a little more research, research, the names of the characters, R- you know, revisit the, the synopsis of the books that they are referencing because they all come into play.
0: Yeah. I think if nothing else, it adds insight into, you know, the themes, um, you know, it might not be as literal as Robert Ford cowardly shot an old friend. You know, it might not be that literal, but I think that there are themes that could emerge and themes that could be instructive. And uh, You know, again, we talked about this a little while ago, about like being on the ground floor of a show that you can really dig into and theorize. I caution against it to a certain degree, just because I was burned by Lost on some occasions, Joe. I know that you know how I feel about the final season of the show. Uh, that I think that there are times, like, you, you've got to be a little bit careful of how much you're reading into everything but i think it's fun it's really fun to get lost in this quote-unquote deeper level uh and to really submerge yourself and i think that there can be a lot of thematic rewards if not concrete rewards and sometimes concrete rewards
1: there you go and you know grain of salt again we uh we do this for fun we speculate and we're wrong a lot Uh, maybe not alice in wonderland but we're wrong a lot
0: of the time we are wrong every time (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's a new cologne yes
1: um I, but I just think that the there's you and I find great joy in exploring the possibilities, and I think that's probably um, I would imagine for writers and producers and showrunners, you know, what they're aiming for, which is this experience. It's not just a show; it's an experience. And I feel like three episodes in, this is a show that yeah. is fast, quickly become experience for not just us, but based on the feedback for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think you're absolutely right. Um, any other theories or anything else from this week, or do you want to close the book? I'll close the book because I'm, I'm marinating on some other theories, but I need another episode. Okay, cool. So episode four is coming up next week. It's called Dissonance Theory, uh, co-written by Ed Brubaker, who we highlighted in our preview podcast. He's a very, very established, esteemed comic book writer who is responsible for some really tremendous Captain America comics. Very excited to see what Ed Brubaker brings to Westworld. Hashtag time, Joe. Do you want to go with Bernard I think bernardled. Yeah. yeah, I think we, we all got a little bernardled on this podcast. As I may have gotten lost down a rabbit hole, but I think it's worth taking a look at. I think it might be fun. I think it could bear something out as we are on mole patrol and all of these other types of patrols. Uh, so so who knows? All right, so tweet that hashtag our way. Joe is at JoePinionated, like Opinionated with a J in the front. I'm at Round Howard. Subscribe to what we're doing here on this podcast, postshowrecaps.com slash westworld if you can leave your ratings and reviews for us on itunes that would be super super helpful as we are trying to climb the charts here we're doing okay in that regard we want more people to find this podcast the more people who are listening and engaging the better it's going to be so any help you can give us in that regard would be greatly appreciated send us your questions for next week westworld at postshowrecaps.com or through our feedback form postshowrecaps.com slash feedback, or tweet at Joe and I. We will certainly tweet back. All right, Joe, thanks so much. This was really fun, and thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of our Westworld podcast. Welcome to Westworld here on Post Show Recaps. Until then, goodbye from Westworld.
1: See you in another life, brothers.